Hi, this is Mackenzie Friggins, the voice of Josie in the Nest in Los Angeles, and you're listening to No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. Hey gang, welcome to episode 105 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, author John Booker comes to talk to us about his upcoming book, Storytelling for Virtual Reality, and I go way, way off script by the end of this one. Let me put it this way, listener discretion is advised. So don't listen to this one in the car with the kids, at least not past the like 40 minute mark. In fact, never listen to this show in the car with the kids. I don't know why you torture your children this way. It might actually be considered illegal. But first, before I denigrate the work we do here, I'm going to ask you to support it. Let's talk about our Patreon. The support for this show is, and indeed for everything NoPro does, comes almost solely these days from our Patreon backers. Leading the pack is Ross Sigworth, who is our sustaining supporter. We are so close, so close that you can hear my knuckles cracking to hitting the $300 mark. And indeed, if you're within the sound of my voice and it is still June, which it may not be, if you drop in like $4, you're on the recurring, you're gonna, you're gonna push us over. You're gonna push us over to the $300 mark, which is our next milestone. We are so close. I can, I can smell it. Um, so think about that as you're celebrating all things, uh, amazing this weekend. This is saving support, you know, just, just, just the littlest about, but I tell you this much. Our $5 backers are going to be getting something special next month. Uh, $5 backers, check your emails because we sent you out a message uh, the night before I recorded this. Uh, I need information from you so you can get what's coming to you. Now, if you want to be one of those people who's going to get what they deserve. Wow, that was... uh, There's there's a lot of ARGs right now. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. Um, uh, That's putting me in a certain mood. Um... Patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how you support us. You can also find a link to that on the front page of no proscenium.com in case you don't want to remember that long URL. Just go to no proscenium.com. We will direct you where you need to go. Now, that's also where you want to go for the latest news. It's where you're going to find everything immersive this week, which is our rundown of the top stories and show announcements and reviews that we found out there in the world for you. So go to noproscenium.com. It's right there on the front page. It'll be out when the show is up this time. Why? Because I wrote it before I did the show. That's why. Look for that there. And if you want to join the discussions, there are two big places to do it. I mean, there's always Twitter where we're at noproscenium, but everything immersive is our Facebook group, which has over 1200 people in it. And it just keeps growing all the time. You can find that easily by going to everythingimmersive.com, or if you want to come on in and get to some real nerdy down-the-thread stuff, we have a Slack channel, which you can reach by emailing me, noah, at noversinium.com, and ask to get into the Slack. And that's where, if you're particularly if you're into design and ethics and the virtual reality side of things, and if you like 
ticket alerts, that's where to go for that information. Now, let's over it over to our, the first segment of the day. We've got Ian Garrett, who is the creator of Transmission, which is an ambitious new immersive work that is making its debut this year at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The Edinburgh Fringe is the original. It is the largest, the oldest fringe in the world, and this is a very ambitious project that they are raising funds for right now, wrapping up that campaign soon. And, uh, well, listen to this. Uh, I think you're going to like it. Ian, uh, thanks for taking the time uh, to talk with me today, and I know we've been bouncing all over the place in terms of when we were going to do this. Totally Um, my pleasure. Yeah, you've got you've got a project uh, that you're taking to Edinburgh, and you've got an Indiegogo going for it right now, and it's it's a pretty ambitious project. Uh, break this thing down. What is Transmission? Uh, so Transmission is a mixed reality uh, city scale, uh, if that's a, a term of art that we <laughs> coin at this point, uh, uh, augmented reality performance series plus podcast plus app etc so essentially at its core there is this idea that uh, we've been receiving uh, alien transmissions uh, in a passive way like leakage from another planet just their popular broadcast for a while we've just discovered translation and a team has come together to develop the first manned missions to go there and it's told through there's a live performance which takes the form of a mission briefing but then the majority of it is actually experienced through an app that we're building and releasing along with it and there are a number of different types of scenes experiences throughout the city of edinburgh a few of them are live um, and are live site specific pieces but the majority of them are these immersive uh, recorded pieces both through video and through uh, audio that ask the audience to go to the location which they were originally uh, would have taken place uh, and experience them in that place. So you sort of have the overlap of your actual reality and this other sort of technological ghost, as we've been referring to it, of something else that has happened in that place. So you can explore the city um, while getting this undercurrent of of the, the world that we're building. So this, this involves a lot of stuff. You've got the you got the show, uh, which is is that like a half hour, hour long fringe yeah, show. Yeah, it's an hour long fringe show. There's like, I think we calculated it's like 13, 14 hours of uh, content. Uh, it's like we did a television, like a season of a television series. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. Would would people need to like? I mean, this is always a question with something that goes, you know, fully into transmedia into like alternate reality setup, like. Do you need to like do all of it? Because I mean, thirteen hours while you're at the Edinburgh Fringe, um, is is that's a that's a that's a that's a chunky bit of time when you're running around right. from show to show to show. But like, have you guys like thought about? I mean, I'm sure you have. This is a setup for an easy answer. Uh, you guys thought about like how like the the disparate parts like fit together in order to create like an mm-hmm. illusion of reality, but still provide, you know, like a good experience yeah. if someone can't get everything we've we've sort of thought about it in sort of like that you know there's the the 80 20 convention I feel like 80% of people will see about 20% of the show so each of the each of the 
experiences are meant to give you a lot more information than they might otherwise. So you're seeing them all together as like one show um, and sort of lead you into the other. So there's been a lot of imagination around the different pathways that someone could take, whether or not someone's going to follow a character or a theme or do it based off a location. There's thought towards, well, if you only have a day, what would be the core that you would need to experience? If you've got a whole week, what's the ideal? Do you want to do it chronologically? Do you want to do it based off of how you want to explore the city? And ultimately, you know, the, the, the actual live portion of it, and especially the live mission briefing, uh, around which there are a couple of site-specific things sort of immediately in the vicinity, immediately around that in, in so far as time, uh, is, is something that uh, will be a satisfying experience. I think that you'd get a lot more out of it and you get a complete story and it's intended to experience more of it than just that one thing. But we didn't want somebody who's just sort of like stumbles across it that day because they heard something about it to not to feel like they're just in the dark and have half the information uh, gone. Um, so and, and then we've also, you know, we've also got this podcast series that goes along with it so that there's a lot of information that you can also sort of backload into it that you get much more in depth by going through the, the, the full immersive experience. But it, that ties back into there so you can get a lot of the backstory, both in terms of like there's like two dozen science consultants that have helped us build the story that we've interviewed through that uh, to get a lot of that back information so you can come in with a lot of knowledge that we didn't like send you a book that's like check all this out it's all in world and the way that it's delivered you guys must have been working on this for a long time now with with so much material and so many platforms involved it's been well you know i can trace it back probably a bit farther than this but like the the delivery mechanism has been something that we've been working on for six seven years this specific story and the way it's been developed and all the dramaturgies that's gone about it has been a minimum of two years. Some of it existed, a lot of it before that. Just in working with, we've been doing workshops and residencies just in around the way that we move people around and what's satisfying and not. Uh, both between doing research and just like going to a lot of stuff uh, that relates to it, but also like bringing together a lot of people into like, okay, we're going to take this like week, two week period, uh, maybe not the full time period, but, and we're going to like send you through a city and see, you know, and then come back and, and study what that experience is like. So you guys are in the sort of the, the home stretch part or, or when, when this airs, you'll be in the home stretch part of the Indiegogo campaign. How can people connect with you and, and what do they get for joining on board the train? And, and if they can't throw cash down, uh, what else can they do to, to be part of this? So one of the key and things, particularly, I guess, I, I guess he, I, Oh, right. let me just, I'm going to tag this on sure. particularly. What's the pitch for someone who's not going to be able to go to Edinburgh? Cause like, that's, that's a, that's a big question right there. Um, is, you know, what, what's someone, what, what, what's someone, you know, cause you're going to want those people involved too. And I know the podcast is part of that, but what's the pitch there? Give me that. So uh, we've got the, we've got not just the Edinburgh, uh, excuse me. We've got not just the Edinburgh component to it, but there's already the, so the plans in the work for where it's going to be next. So we're planning on moving it around, uh, each of those 
is actually intended to be another story in the same world. So we're talking about continue with the world building there, and part of that is stimulating that. Uh, there's also the idea that there's a lot of interest in so far as this this way of storytelling and this way of integrating technology into that storytelling. So sort of paired in with those other locations. And uh, a lot of other projects, there's this idea of, you know, getting this first proof of a concept out there for that. But so much of the media can be experienced outside of it. After the show is done, we do plan on releasing a, a, a essentially an immersive, I hesitate to call it a VR experience, even though my belief is that VR would is more of an achieved state than necessarily specific technology, but we'll be archiving also the live components that we're doing and creating a version of it that will then be available um, both if you go to Edinburgh at another time or at home along with a companion guide that goes with it. There's all sorts of things that go that then tie into that of just sort of integrating yourself into the story because we're trying to make it so that uh, we tap into as many points of reality as possible. So part of that is also we're looking for people to, if you can't give money, can you send a, mes a message to the crew? We've got instructions on our website, which the easier way to say it is luxtaterror.com, which is L-U-X-T-A-T-E-R-R-A, -R -R which is the name of the planet in it. Um, we have a much more clever looking URL, which is transmiss.io slash N. And there's instructions on how to, uh, uh, to include yourself there to do either a video or audio message that will be integrated into future versions of the podcast and the video components of the live show within there. So there's ways of participating in it. There's ways of experience it later. And then that's going to continue to expand. We've got plans for a Los Angeles iteration in fall of 2018 currently. Uh, it will be coming back to Toronto because a lot of us are, who are involved in it are Toronto-based uh, following that. Uh, and then sort of every time I talk to somebody about the project, we end up tagging on another piece to it. <laughs> so if you, if you start participating and we know where people are interested in it, we want to expand this world to sort of, you know, it, like... Pokemon Go, I think, is the more ready analogy if people aren't used to like a um, a, a geolocation-based experience or Ingress, or I would go with geocaching before that. We want that same sort of like overlay of augmented reality to uh, yeah. the world in this in in this sort of like world-changing event that we're trying to dramatize. Well, that is that is super exciting because there's. I, I love the idea of it getting a chance to travel because that's the thing that can be sometimes kind of frustrating with something where there's like, you know, like, oh, there's so much going into this. And then it's like just for like one festival. But of course, it's that much passion and time. Like it can't just be for you know one thing. So and that's a good and And I know the Angelinas are, are always eager for fresh, new, fun things. So there you go. Yeah, Angelinas. There's there's a reason to play that's that's home too so uh, yeah I'm, uh, originally from los angeles so the the idea is like i there's so many places that i've spent like just exploring through like the secret staircases and canyons and the old nike sites around los angeles that it's like i've wanted to do something that tied all those together and pulled people into my experience of of los angeles of this this hidden level of los angeles that you don't necessarily get um, 
when you're first introduced to a city like that. And I think that's true for a lot of cities. Yeah. Oh yeah. No cities. That's, that's the fun thing about all the alternate reality stuff is when it's being done really right, it introduces you to, you know, things you did not know. Sometimes even in a place you've lived forever. All right, Ian, how can people find transmission? How can they hook up with that? So uh, you can find us uh, at our website, either at luxeterra.com or transmiss.io slash n, or just transmiss.io. You can also find us on Facebook at Luxeterra or Twitter at Luxeterra. All the information for how to participate is going on there. Uh, we've been sharing a lot about the character backgrounds recently, so it's a good time to catch up within any of those. And all of those will get you to, there's the support link on the webpage. Uh, there's pretty much constant postings right now as we're midway through this campaign on both Facebook and Twitter to get to that Indiegogo page uh, if you want to back it. And there's instructions on all of those also on how to participate, uh, regardless of whether or not you can kick in a few dollars. All right. Well, Ian, thanks for taking the time to tell us about the project. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Once again, want to thank Ian for being on the show. You can find links to transmission both in the show notes and in everything immersive this week at nopersinium.com. Now, before we get into the big interview this time, and and it's a big one, it's a big one. John Booker and I go all over the place on this one. Um, I want to remind you that we have a workshop coming up in Los Angeles that's going to be taught by the very talented Lauren Ludwig of Capital W., She's the director and creator of Red Flags and Hamlet Mobile and and The Drum, if you got lucky enough to see that piece. Um, Lauren's work is so good, and she's going to be sharing some of the secrets of the techniques she uses to unlock these performances from her actors. This is the first in what we hope is going to be a long series of workshops, and we've got just about halfway through the number of tickets we have for it. Um, But we also have a reserve. We've got to get nine people or it doesn't happen. So we're at about six or seven as I speak this. So we need just a few more to guarantee it. We've got until the 9th of July to make that happen. But um, if you are thinking about it, um, now is the time to jump in because once it goes, it goes. And, uh, and, and the ride just keeps getting faster and faster. You can find that it's called alive and authentic. That's also at nopersinium.com. And you can also find it on our Facebook page. Um, and on Facebook, you can just like directly, you know, hop in and, and buy from there because Facebook wants to rule the world and we're just letting it apparently, um, you know, Hey, I'm not a coder. I can't solve this problem. Are there problems I can solve? I don't know. Um, let's talk to John Booker and find out. John Booker um, is an author and a scholar and a gentleman. Uh, his specialties are, uh, well, John's going to break down his biography for you. So like, I'm going to hold back on that. Uh, this is a most excellent, most excellent uh, conversation. It goes here, it goes there, it goes everywhere. Um, and, uh, and at the end, oh, at the end, um, this is going to be one of the more infamous episodes. I'm going to, I'm going to cop to that right now, but let's just, let's just, let's let this episode do what it's going to do. So let's roll the tape. Jump. 
John, thank you for joining me at the kitchen table. It is a real pleasure. I've been a fan of the show for a long time, so this is an honor to be on the show. And, and the tables are a little turned, because uh, <laughs> about, was it a year ago now? It was a little over a year a ago A little now. over a year ago yeah. now, you interviewed me yeah. for your upcoming book, yes. which is... Storytelling for Virtual Reality. Storytelling for Virtual Reality. We met down at Dinosaur Coffee. We talked for, I don't know, it felt like an hour or so. At like, least, yeah. And and, and apparently uh, it, was, it was helpful in some way, and the recording worked. I was worried, I was most worried that the recording wasn't going to work because we were in Dinosaur, but it was it was not one of the crazier days in there, yep. so that got it. Yep. Gotta get my hair out of my face. Like, everyone does not know right now, but like, the hair's gotten very long. Those in LA know, everyone else doesn't, uh, and it's in my face currently. You just got back from a show at Fringe. I'm, I'm uh, tired from the, the weeks of Fringe, uh, so I, I just took a nap. Um, I'm well rested. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about this. Let's talk about storytelling and virtual reality and um, this idea of immersive and virtual reality. Because yeah. yeah. um, you came to me to talk about like the immersive stuff and, and some of the, the, the reporting I'd been doing for a while. Yeah. And we talked a lot about immersive theater. And I know you're a big fan of the local immersive theater. Yeah. You know, you went you went back to Apartment 8, right? I did, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is actually... I saw Apartment 8 again this year. Um, I've become like one of the... Heads, I think, of the Annie Lesser fan club just because um, the very first immersive theater experience I ever had was at an Annie Lesser show. I saw mm. Getting to Know You, mm. and I was just taken yeah. with that show. And that was three years ago. Three now. years ago. Yeah, yeah, three years ago. That was the year of Hamlet Mobile yes. uh, at Fringe. Uh, and so, yeah, again, the Fringe uh, yeah. just blossoming in, in a big way. By the yeah. time this airs, Fringe will be done. We will have known who's gotten all the awards. Yes. We will have uh, screamed about it, uh, <laughs> one positively or negatively. Um, but this was this has been a pretty solid year yeah. uh, for for that stuff, and it's it's the category just well we never had a category formally right. before. Now we do, and right. and it's it's blown up, and it's a lot of buzz around it. Yeah, at least in the circles we're running in, which yeah. is the crazy hardcore immersive fans. Yeah. Um. So what? What have you learned? You got the book coming out. What have you learned about storytelling and virtual reality? And and are we, are we? This is a great question for you yeah. to tell me and and all of them. <laughs> are we beating around the right bush when we think about immersive as this thing that bridges this, the physical and the digital? Yeah, I I think um, I definitely think we are. Here is sort of the um, impetus that even got me wanting to write this book that became sort of my North Star throughout the process of writing the book. Um, I became interested in immersive theater before I was interested in VR, and it was mainly because I was into the idea of experiences. Mm. Um, in this age, I fe- you know, where everybody, myself included, found themselves spending a huge amount of time staring into glass screens, I started to wonder what is powerful enough to pull people away from a glass screen. Mm. Um, and so the idea of an experience, what does that word mean? What is the idea of an experience? I, I, I looked back, you know, into the 60s, the Jimi Hendrix experience. Um, I, I looked sort of into uh, historically why people have, have pursued experiences that were outside the norm. Mm. 
And immersive theater to me was about that experience. It was about not uh, just observing, but experiencing something. So I got really interested in this sort of uh, juxtaposition between observing and experiencing. Mm. And in doing that, I became taken with immersive theater, but I started to hear a lot of people in the immersive theater community talking here and there about virtual reality. Right. I had had some experiences with it pretty far back. I'm old enough guy that I actually, being a nerd, uh, had had some VR experiences with sort of a, the, the first wave VR stuff. Oh, dactyl nightmare. <laughs> yes. With your weird pop gun and your polygonal <laughs> yes. dactyls flying around and your television sets that we wore on our heads. Kids, we actually put... Those those were CRTV screens, not LCD, <laughs> not LED right. screens. We we put actual old cathode cathode ray tube right. TVs on our heads. That's right. I'm not kidding. We really yeah. did. We risk our own health with what we <laughs> strap to our, our heads. Our necks, our necks were and they and they were young necks. They were 14 year old necks right. that we strapped these CRTVs onto. That's right. Uh, you know, and adult supervision was the 19 year old who was running the kiosk <laughs> at the bowling alley. That's right. None of this is. I'm not making any no, of that up. No. Every single real. line of that is true. It's all real. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that that experience, while it was very novel, mm-hmm. um, it, it was it was quickly um, uh, dismissed in my mind as something that um, maybe someday that'll be cool, but right now, yeah. you know, that's not cool. Um, the The first time that I really reconsidered uh, things. Um, knew someone that had a, a, a DK1. Yeah. And um, For those who know, Oculus Developer Kit 1, yes. the, uh, the initial publicly consumable, but quotes on public, version of the Oculus Rift. Yes. Yeah. And so the DK1 uh, for me was a bit of a game changer. Mm. Um, when I saw that, it, it certainly, if you had any experience with it, it, it was not a perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no. It was it, it was a promise. <laughs> yes. It was a promise wrapped yes. in, in black plastic. That's, that's exactly yeah. well said yeah. uh, what it was. But it, it did, it in a sense, provided us a lens to the future to say, mm. you know what, there's... There's something coming. I sometimes have called uh, the the DK one the John the Baptist of the VR world that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because that's sort of what it served at, as for me. Um, I have always been interested in the technological side of it, advancing the human experience. But what I'm most interested in, and what my mind immediately goes to, is will we tell a story with this technology, mm. and how will we tell stories with this technology? Because I feel like any major advance in technology has some sort of narrative connection to it. And, and, uh, you know, it's easy to point to film and radio and television, but even things like the Internet, in my opinion, really took off once people began to be able to attach narrative hooks to it. And those narrative hooks included social media experiences. Those narrative hooks included things like being able to read blogs and other people's experiences. Um, any sort of, of, of way that we begin to make meaning out of, out of our lives, to me, is connected to narrative. Those stories you know, are just how we make sense of the world. It's how we experience what it means to be a human being and try and figure out those oldest universal questions that people have been asking since we could ask questions. Yeah. 
So like the 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 classical quote quotes on classical the classical dramatic forms or like the screenplay format all these things it's it's a lingua franca it's yes. a way for mutual understanding but anyone who like you know falls in love with like an idiosyncratic novelist knows yeah. that story can can take very quirky hard to break forms i think my favorite example in that mode is you know being a teenager being in theater getting into shakespeare Looking at Shakespeare and, and and not being able to understand what the hell dude was saying because yeah. the language, even though even though so much of our language is tied to his language, yeah. it's you know it's there's a there's what a five hundred year gap or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, my brain's a little fried today. Um, but then finally be able to break his code, and yeah. then someone turning around saying, "Well, there was there was also Ben Johnson and 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 there was Kit Marlowe, yeah. and like you know you should check them out." And you pick up and open up Johnson, and he's writing even though he's a contemporary with an entirely different idiom, yeah. and you're like, well, "I don't understand this." Yeah. Although flip around and read a Restoration uh, play, like read an Afrobend or something like that, and yeah. you can totally grok it because it's post Shakespeare. Yeah. And, and and how much and then then you finally under, start to appreciate oh he really did impact like and create create like a language from which we're able to then extrapolate yeah but but in a in a wild westy time um, these these quirky things like that's going to be the interesting thing about looking back on uh, physical immersive and digital immersive yeah. is there will be things that we will have experienced that fall completely by the wayside yeah. But they will have been, you know, they will have been the Ben Johnson to someone else's Shakespeare. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and we'll just be like, well, we, we we could have gone that way, but but we didn't. This other yeah. thing, and and from and that's how we'll go. And and that's where we are. We're we're at we're at this Renaissance period right now. That is, that's so well said. And the the Renaissance period that we're in, to me, is connected to our number one desire to establish some sort of of language in the midst of this this immersive emergence mm-hmm. and then second i think we we are trying to decide as a culture on what we can agree on as new myths mm-hmm. and i i I spend a lot of time reading about mythology. I spend a lot of time diving deep into mythology. And here's where I believe that connects to VR, where that connects to immersive experiences, is our methods of communication, our world has gotten so complex that we don't have a lot of myths we agree on anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we don't you know, have a, a community, a society that says, okay, we, we all know the Achilles myth and we all agree on, that that is a value for our society, that we agree with that story and the truth behind that story. In the United States, at least, I think we only have one remaining cultural myth left and that is that our money will save us. Mm. And I, I fear for us because that that is a very dangerous myth to hold. Yeah, the, the mammon myth, yes. right? You right. know, like worship worship of mammon. They they uh, they they warned <laughs> us about it back in uh, in, right. in medieval times. Right. Uh, and uh, and I don't and I don't mean the dinner theater. <laughs> um, there they do worship mammon. Right. For an extra fifteen ninety five <laughs> supplementary donation, they'll give you another turkey leg. They will. Um, extra paper crown. Yeah, you know. 
Um, <laughs> but but that that to me is <laughs> that to me is, is what is important about immersive experiences and in part of the potential for VR is we are actually, when you go into an immersive experience, we are creating, co-creating a myth together. Mm. We're, cre- we're agreeing about the, the story that we're going to all live into. And even though that's metaphoric, that's powerful. Well, and there's something of like the, the household gods to it, right? Because yeah. like you go back to... Um, you know the Greco-Roman world, and and households would have their gods. Yes, and these are minor deities, small little things, you yeah. know, and maybe even like you know the way any other cultures ancestor spirits. Yeah, you know, all these things are very much you know tied animism, uh, and then there'd be like the there'd be like the god gods, right? You know, there'd be like Zeus or or, or oh God, who is he? Jupiter in, Jupiter, in, in, yeah. in Rome. Roman, um, and and it's like the difference between. You know, a little M mythology and a big M mythology, yes. and it's the difference between you know someone being a, 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 a total fan of a web series and someone being a diehard Batman fan. Yeah. Um, because one is universal and recognized, and one you know is a is a shibboleth amongst a, a small group of people, and, yeah. and and can create high group coherence yeah uh but the 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 larger level and so there's something interesting to me about this idea of of you know theater being tied to mystery cults and so much of what you see in immersive particularly the stuff that gets tinged with horror yeah um dives into the mystery cult thing yeah dives into those kinds of experiences and i mean i and i know and i know you're you're a you're you're a student of joseph campbell's yes um uh and I know he was the person who introduced me. I mean, not personally, mm-hmm. but like to to like the illusion, illusion, yeah, the illusion, illusion, illusion mysteries, and this idea of uh, initiatory cults yep. and and being brought within. And when I was younger, I always thought that one of the things that was missing from our culture yeah. was the mystery cult, yes. was a sense of initiation, and the th- one of the things that I've been finding in immersive. Uh, when it's done, when it's done in a certain way, are those feelings of initiation? Of, yeah. uh, and and what's funny is that like sometimes it could be done just for the sake of doing it. Just yeah. just like by the end you find out it's like drink your Ovaltine, you know, come yeah. see our show, or yeah. like you know here's here's the thing. <laughs> but then if it's done with an artistic intent, yeah. it could be that oh I just got initiated into a community of grief. Yes. Or I just got initiated into you know I mean there's there's all these kind of ends you could these yes. artistic conceits people could put into these things. Yeah. Uh, and this format is it has the the potential because it ties back to yeah. that mystery cult. Thing. Well, and that's that's a big chunk of uh, the middle of the book. Mm. I really do connect to um, ancient theater practices, to mystery cults, and, and a lot of people are surprised. Really, in a VR book, that's where we're going, but I, I feel like it's essential to go back and look at the Greek traditions mm. if we're going to talk about VR because we only have the works of, of, of three of them. Uh, we, right. we talk about, you know, Greek tragedies. We only have works from three of them that survive. God, it's making me think about it. It's, it we're, we're recording this uh, the week after uh, the hubbub over Julius Caesar. Yes. And one of the things I thought was really insightful that someone said, and this is like way off. So this isn't, this isn't, this isn't about the politics of it. Uh, because I try to avoid politics on the show, although I think everyone generally can figure out where I stand on things. <laughs> and don't tell my bosses. Uh, but the, the 
the, the thing that was an interesting observation was that, you know, in American culture, you know, the language of our storytelling, the Hollywood language of storytelling is that uh, the bad guy gets killed. That's how you know he gets just desserts. Yes. And Caesar, qua Caesar, yeah. not qua somebody else, uh, is an intensely complicated character yeah. in that uh, well, on the one hand he was an immensely popular person and he very generous and gave and did all these things yes. but he was an existential threat because of how popular he was and that's what the play is about but then the play they they take action against him because they're so worried about what he might become yeah. that by destroying him they create the very thing <laughs> they were trying to avoid yes. so it's and that's tragedy yes. is that's the definition of hubris that's right. and it is completely missing from the American emotional intelligence. We, and yet we are at the same time obsessed with the fall of great men and women. We love people to have hubris and to watch them destroyed. My favorite South Park is about that. Yes. Um, We love watching the fall but we are not aware of the mechanisms yes. and the media is is totally built around that. But if you're living in a tragedy, you you probably don't recognize that you're living in a tragedy. Yeah. And if only... Just read your fucking Shakespeare, people. Nelson, out. Knock the microphone over. Don't hear um, well, yeah. well, look at... You know, let's, yeah. t- let's take one of those Greek traditions. Let's yes. take Euripides. So Euripides is unique in that we would have never had the wire had we not had Euripides because... Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Interested in the conclusion. You've had my curiosity, now you have my attention. Okay. Well, well, here's why. Because before Euripides, you have a single actor on stage who's switching masks. Mm. Okay? With Euripides, he's the first guy who says, you know what? We could have multiple characters in this. We could have multiple people. We would have never, in while this seems like such a basic idea to us to be able to introduce all these other characters, no one had ever thought about before having more than one actor portray roles. We yeah. would have never had these, this type of storytelling that is based around ensemble casting mm. and ensemble groups had it not been for Euripides because everyone was in the mindset, all the plays that were winning the, the, the Greek competitions every year at the festivals, all single actor. Oh God, you mean it would have been masks. nothing but one man shows? One man history? shows forever. Shut up. But Euripides comes and says, change the game. We got to change the game. I believe right now VR is very much in a pre-Euripides place. Mm. We're in this singular, one mask, one person type Mm. experience. Even though social VR, and we can can have all sorts of conversations about the potential uh, of that. But I think we're waiting on our first Euripides in VR to figure out a way to change the rules completely. Well, let me, you know, video games waited 25 years for their Citizen Kane. Yes. And we never really got it. Yeah. But we got Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. We got Halo. Yeah. We got, for better or worse, Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Um, we got all sorts of ways of, of, of telling a story that were radically different. Yeah. And not superior and and in some ways not inferior to the cinematic language um but people were waiting on wells people wanted that to happen and 
and at a certain point, you know, we realize, well, no, we've got we've got Miyamoto. Yeah, you know, right. that's who we got. We've, right, we, we've got Mario. We've got Zelda. Yep. You know, the, these are the things, and and this this constant kind of back and forth, and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's almost like we've we've gone past the point where we need it. Like that's something I never hear yeah. anymore in the video game world of like what's going to be the the Citizen Kane yeah. of video games. Like that's yeah. just not a question. Well, I, I, I interview Chris Milk in the uh, the book, mm. and uh, for those unaware, Chris Milk, uh, probably one of the most interesting uh, directors and creators uh, of music videos first, did a lot of Kanye West's music, more interesting music videos, uh, but has been one of, he gave a, a TED Talk on VR where he mm. coined this term of VR being the ultimate empathy machine. Mm. Everyone picks up on his talk, they pick up on this term, uh, and he sort of becomes one of the superstars of VR. His company within has been one of the most heavily invested VR companies that exist. So I interviewed Chris in the book, and Chris uh, talked a lot about the 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 Orson Welles example in VR of us sort of waiting on an Orson Welles. Mm. He pointed out, I think rightly so, that, uh, you know, when when Citizen Kane was made, when when they had their Orson Welles, nobody recognized it yeah. at that time. Yeah. It was it was much later that we look back and we realize the genius of Welles. We could have already have had our Orson Welles, and nobody even knows. Yeah, yeah. it's possible. Yeah, our, our Citizen Kane and video games could already exist. And and in, and with v, with VR, I mean, what, what's interesting to me about VR what's, is that there's this sense of of the kaleidoscope. Yeah, the sense of um, and the sense of multiple perspectives that you're able to do, but because you're in a first perspective, person perspective language, that's usually when it's most effective. The idea that you can like, uh, you know, slip into someone else's skin, yeah. uh, and then see it from their point of view, and then maybe slip into someone else's skin and see yeah. the scene from there. It's just it's just rushing yeah. on all the way down, right? You well, know, just yeah. all day long. You you you've, you've hit on something really important. This idea of slipping into someone else's skin. You mentioned. Uh, Fringe has been going on. I went and saw Apartment 8, Annie Lester's Apartment 8, for the third time Mm. last night. And I, as soon as I got there, there were two other VR guys waiting in line to see it. Because all the VR people I've been talking to are aware of this show and the idea of, of again, embodying uh, another person, of slipping into someone else's skin, the way that Annie uh, executes that show, everybody in the VR community has seen it, agrees, this is a show that we have a lot to learn from in the VR community. We have a lot to learn from the immersive community in general. Immersive theater has been around for decades longer than VR. But we we especially have a lot to learn from those who are doing sort of interesting uh, different types of work in the immersive world. And and some of it applies more to VR than others. But that particular show, for example, you really do feel like you're immersed in someone else's skin. That is part of what people are trying to achieve yeah. in VR. What's interesting there is that what that means exactly is totally different for, for different people. Yeah. And like I've gone through that. I went through it twice. And the first time I had a very, had a very strong reaction of, of a, I found a character mm-hmm. really quickly. Um, and then I decided I wanted to go back and, and play it the entirely different way. Mm. And, you know, Kate doesn't change her performance. Yeah. But what you bring to the table changes the experience. Yeah. And and that's 
I mean, and, and as someone who was, who's been an actor in a previous life, you know, that's the joy of acting. And that's yeah. the joy of having a great scene partner. It's yeah. like, particularly they give you the room to do that. And, and just the way that dialectic winds up flowing. But there's definitely this line in, um, in the work, there's a vein in the work right now, mm-hmm. where the intimate stuff um, is like the most promising part for... I think probably for like 360 video yeah. and for like ultimately the, the CG generated mocap stuff. And what's weird is like a lot of the material I see being made, like they're not, they're not going after the intimate, yeah. you know, they're not going after. And part of it's yeah. some of it's technical. It's like, Oh, we don't know where their eyes are uh-huh. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an advantage the physical has over you, yeah. you know? Well, and that's part of what I was trying to figure out with this book is what what have we learned about the language of this new medium? Mm-hmm. Are there things that are, equate? So one thing that um, is I interviewed different, you know, I, I interviewed more than 40 different VR people uh, from everybody from Google to the people at IL, uh, ILM's X-Lab to uh, the people on down to just the grassroots soldiers doing local, you know, VR projects here in L.A. One thing I kept hearing over and over is about this idea of intimacy, how uh, immediately when people begin creating 360 video or or VR often as well, um, they will lament for a moment that we don't have the close up, right? Mm. Because that that communicates uh, intimacy in traditional film. However, one thing I kept hearing over and over from different people uh, who are creating is Having an actor look directly into the camera mm-hmm. is the equivalent of a close-up in VR. There's a similar intimacy that we find when the actor looks directly into the camera. Now, it doesn't work in every scene, yeah. but we're, we're starting to see some patterns among creators that we're recognizing, ah, this is one tool in the toolkit now. Yeah. You know, it, it may not work every time. It's, it's, it's not formula, but it's form. The, and the toolkit has evolved, yes. right? The palette on this thing has intensely evolved because yeah. I remember the first year of it, the the consensus was cuts will not work, yeah. and you know a jump cut still doesn't work. Right. But we but we but within like three months that was gone. That right. that was proven to be false conventional wisdom. How much over the course of you even writing this yeah. book, two big things have happened. One, the, the toolkit's vastly <laughs> expanded, and two, things have come out and we've sort of reached what they call the trough of disillusionment in terms of the market. So but let's let's start with the happy thing. How has the right. toolkit evolved as yeah. you've been writing this book? So the the toolkit has evolved uh, number one in that people have and it sort of connects to your second question, mm-hmm. people have really accepted the fact that uh, you know the prediction in 2016 of selling millions of, of, of high-end VR units, it didn't happen. So so the toolkit evolved as a response to that mm. Yeah, over the course of, of creating the book. When I first began writing the book, everyone was just convinced if you can't make whatever you're doing work on mobile as well as a tethered headset, you're missing the boat. Over the course of writing the book, I began to see that philosophy fall apart a mm. little bit because there, I began to see creators that were emerging who were strictly committed to mobile experiences. Others, other creators were strictly committed to high-end, high-res experiences. And then there were those who were trying to straddle the line into both. Um, 
the, the toolkit also has changed in that we've got some new tools. You know, we, we've, uh, over the course of writing the book, Oculus re- released the touch. Well, that, that was different. That mm. was a game changer. We had some uh, abilities, you know, in a VR experience that we didn't have uh, before. Um, also, you know, Oculus in particular announced that you could add a third uh, lighthouse to your system and have room scale, yeah. uh, which, you know, when I first began writing the book, HTC was considered by everyone is if you're if you're serious, if you're a pro, you've got a Vive just because room scale is yeah. the end all be all. I've also seen that philosophy change a bit because most of us myself included just don't have a large enough space to fully take advantage yeah. of room scale yeah it's interesting that the one of the possibilities is what they call the lbe the location-based experiences yeah. and like imax is experiencing was experimenting still is i guess right now like yeah. they've got their their house although the prices on it are just kind of like it just does it just doesn't seem like the right value right. but this idea of you know some things you 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 need space for and yeah. you want to find a way to do that and other things you can kind of do close up and and I keep on coming back to the idea that was actually for me born in like I think like the third VRLI I went to which was someone said like oh this reminds me of like the homebrew PC club back in the 80s <laughs> and that stopped me dead in my tracks because I, I thought of like all the tech press and I thought about all the, the, the money people how like oh, they all want this to be the next iPhone, and we're building PCs right now. Yeah. Like, we, we haven't even figured out, like, Windows doesn't exist yet. Right. And then sometimes, just to make it easier on people, I say, like, well, look, these are Blackberries. Yes. But but that's that's actually a lie. Like, yeah. these, this is, we we don't have Windows yeah. yet. That's you right. know? We don't even have that's Windows. Right. And, and that people want to... Um, people want to make it all consumer. Like consumer electronics didn't used to be the leading sector of our economy or yeah. the one that we were all obsessed with. It used to be this, you know, CES used to be the thing that only nerds and weirdos went to <laughs> in so Vegas. True. So true. Uh, and was not the center of the damn universe. <laughs> right. But it was only post. It was only thanks to like you know the the the. the the tail end of Steve Jobs' life that it became like, <gasps> yeah. oh my God, everyone's got to be obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. Um, we're watching and we're watching it happen. We're watching technology, you know, evolve at the pace that technology wants to evolve at. That's right. Which is still very different from the pace that humans want to evolve at. It's yeah. either always much faster or much slower. Right. But it it man those the, the silicon. It does what it it does what it's going to do. Yeah. It takes the time yeah. to, to to bake. Well, when I first started writing the book, everyone I talked to said, "You know, we've just got to stay focused on VR right now." But eventually, the end goal is AR. Mm. Over the course of writing the book, that has changed a lot because now there are a ton of people that. All they want to talk about is AR. There are a lot of people that have completely disregarded VR for AR, saying that maybe VR, whatever was good or worked about VR, will just be sucked into AR. You know, I've never been bullish on AR for the fact that the computing power required to make a very convincing VR AR object seem to really blend into space yeah. uh, in a way that's seamless, that's not me holding a device, but me having it, like wearing it, yeah. uh, is immense. That's right. It, it's, it's a category above. I don't, I've never felt that that's a five-year. I felt that that's a 10-year yeah. arc. And then there's the fact that, getting back to story, I always feel that like 
AR without full remap the world abilities, which yeah. is basically just it just means projecting VR a VR yeah. world onto the real world. Yeah. So like without, without a full without a full mod kit for yeah. for meat space um that the best you could do is like oh we can play clue we can put a dead body on the table (laughs) but i don't i don't only want i don't want to i don't want to play clue all the time like if i want to play if i want to play star wars i don't want to look over and i don't want to see you know john miss john i want to see you know a wookiee you know and and know that that to me why don't i see a wookiee john (laughs) (laughs) i'm all for that by the way um that to me begs the question of just how much agency is a viewer or an audience going to desire in these experiences. So in mm. the book, I, I interviewed Ted Shilowitz, who's the his literal title is the futurist at 20th Century Fox. And Ted said something that I thought was pretty interesting. He believes the, the amount of agency desired by the audience and, and sort of what is dividing the VR, AR community is greatly along lines of age. And here's his theory. Mm. If you are in high school, you have people from the time you get up to the time you go to bed telling you what to do. Go to this class. Go to the, You don't get a chance to ever make any of your own decisions. Mm. So when you get home and it's time to play video games or it's time to engage with your phone, all you want to do is make decisions. Now, guys like you and I that are out of high school, far, far beyond that, we are in jobs and in the real world where... Noah, all you and I do all day long is make decisions. So when we get home and we, you know, have a chance to to engage with with some other sort of content, last thing we want to do is have to make every decision. Mm. So Ted's theory is that older audiences that uh, whose lives are so complicated and complex and layered with uh, busyness. They are never going to engage AR to the level that a younger audience will. Hmm. And perhaps it's smarter to embrace sort of a two-pronged approach to say content for this audience can be a lot more about the agency we give high schoolers and below or or even college and below. Mm -hmm. But once people are, are, are in the real world and once people have jobs... We're going to have to temper our expectations for agency in maybe even uh, between AR and VR that people may be much more interested in a VR experience uh, if they're older and maybe much more interested in an AR experience if they're college or below. It's interesting that that, that he positions AR and VR that way on the agency matrix because mm-hmm. I could flip around and do the exact reverse mm. because with a VR world, you could... You know, you can. I think of Minecraft. Yeah. I can. I can build a world from scratch in yeah. in Minecraft. In Minecraft VR, for that fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, have control absolutely every aspect. There is no decision that gets made that is not mine. AR, I always think is a, a fantastic computing platform. In that, I just would say like. Uh, Siri, light me up a path uh, to the Thai place because yeah. I've forgotten how. Yeah. And then uh, through my goggles or my glasses, I just see the path to where I'm going. Yeah. You know, or even better, like in a store, like yeah. I'm I'm in you know Amazon uh, an Amazon real bookstore because they got those now, and just be like, you know, t- take me to the sci-fi section, and yeah. then it just appear the, the pathway appears in front of me, and so yeah. I know exactly where I'm going, as opposed to looking down to my phone or and. And and yeah, so I could I could I could flip it around that way. But I think yeah. I think I think you might be might have something there in terms of. And I, I don't know if I'd do it by age, but maybe I also do it by class, right? Yeah. Like, 
you know, if you if you spend a lot of time making decisions, making decisions is not relaxing. Right. But if you have no sense of control of your own life, then you know, or, or the world, then having the opportunity, you know, exerting control. Yeah. But like that's the thing is like humans need need space for both. You can't just do one thing all the time or you just you just break down like, it. like a machine. Yeah. Um where where are we in the timeline on all this stuff? On mm. VR and AR um, from from where you're sitting now, having finished up the book, and yeah. I know I know the book's more about narrative on it, but yeah. like this is the inevitable question. Yeah, you know, well, it's it is in some ways the uh, the, the 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 million dollar question because I feel like if I give you an answer on it, it whatever I say, you can count on that not being it <laughs> and it being something else uh, being right. That we have really really sucked at predicting uh, timelines for anything associated with VR at this point. I will say this. I, like they say in The Wire, follow the money. Mm. And I do think there's wisdom in looking at where um, is money continuing to be invested. Mm. Um, NVIDIA, to me, is a very interesting company because... The chips that they are, are making are not just important in the VR, AR world, but they are really going after AI mm. hard. Yeah. Uh, so to me, this is, it's impossible to answer that question narrowly unless we look at this whole thing as an ecosystem. Yeah. That, yeah. One, I mean, one of the more interesting things I found out recently and this this drove me nuts was that a lot of the high end graphics cards have are, gotten snatched up to be used for bitcoin farming and for other cryptocurrency yeah. farming and i'm like oh my god like so like fake money is going to crib yeah. death vr and ar yeah. right like because like these guys and and also eats tons of heat so yeah. it's like so the Ar- antarctic is going to melt because a bunch of dudes want to make want to make money off the, the blockchain that's, that's so good that's great way to go humanity really great use of materials give me back my video card um, so i can play games but that and it, but it, that's the thing is like this thing it's just it's I mean, that just, I saw that just maybe like seven, eight days ago, and it kind of broke me because I was like, so making funny money out of thin air and like a derivative of a derivative, right? You know, because people agree that this is going to have value, it has value, as opposed to a game or a piece of software for navigation or a, a movie experience, something that has an emotional value that is exterior to um, just just a, 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 a magical thing he agreed upon like okay uh, I will pay you 10 real dollars for this you know for this fake money right yeah. now in the hopes that you know one day it'll be worth more um, and 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 a whole beautiful dream could come crashing down uh, in in the pure pursuit of that value of mammon right right that's in that I think is while we're juggling all these things, that can't be denied. You, yeah. you, you know, what you're talking about there... Well, it goes back to exactly what you were saying about yeah. our values as a culture, right? We, we believe money will save us. That's right. 
That's and so like, people believe Bitcoin, the block. Now, the blockchain technology is very interesting yeah. for a lot of the things. But like for all the people who are exploring the blockchain, for all the good things it can do, the the heat is all around like money. People, it's right. a get rich. It's literally a get rich quick scheme for right. people. And and the idea that the money part of blockchain will save us. Maybe the blockchain could save democracy. Maybe right. the blockchain could like all this other stuff. But whoa, it could whoa. also turn turn. Uh, Turn us into the digital sopranos, where there is nothing but gangsterism that controls the the global economy that is based on on these financial ideas. Because uh, when there's no, I'm I'm not a fan of regulation, but when there is zero regulation, um, and, and there's no one to stop the smartest, you know, criminals. How how are we going to be able to hold all this together yeah. into you know a system? Well, there's there's regulation for regulation's sake, and then there's and then there's things that are just like I mean you know look at like Grandfall Tower in London, right? right? You know like that example. thing that thing didn't have a sprinkler system, right? And we think we know at least seventy and at this point. I think maybe we think maybe a hundred people died, and it's just like what the yeah right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's. I don't know, like the world, the world's, the world, how do we get here? The world's messed up. Well, and that, um, that's where in all of this, my, the, the sort of sense, I, I finished writing the book, you know, my, it takes a long time for a book to come out once you've written the book. And yeah. so um, the book comes out next month, uh, but I actually finished writing it, you know, at the, the end of last year. And since I finished writing the book, the two things that have become most interesting to me in this world have been money mm. and sex, just because obviously those are those are two driving motivating factors in humanity yeah. we've talked about the money I'd love to speak for just a second uh, about the sexuality piece here yeah sure because um, obviously <laughs> porn dro- drove the 90s to the 2000s exactly internet, right? exactly yeah. and so um, there are you know obviously cam VR experiences that uh, are are significant you know right now the VR porn is, is certainly has to be part of the conversation. I think that's the low-hanging fruit, mm-hmm. discussion-wise. I am also interested in, because I, I was speaking with another technologist uh, who's working in the AI space a few weeks ago. He's, he's working with technology to create these digital puppets uh, based on um, 360 scans of women. And this, he's he's oh suggesting within ten years that there may be no pornography created with real human beings at all. That it, it would be uh, digital puppets that were programmed in such a way to respond to uh, the analytics based on what they know that you like. And it, here, here's the interesting thing: Netflix cartoon <laughs> machinima porn. Like that's the future. No, that is the future. No, like. Because, because let me. The look me, on your face me, right me, now is so take priceless. The, let me take the mask right <laughs> off here. Um, <sighs> all right. All right. Here we go. Folks, this just became an After Dark episode. Uh, so if you got the kids around, like you can up to this point, but now shut it off for a moment. Go pour yourself some scotch. About to get real. Hide the kids. <laughs> Get out of the car, whatever you do, go for a walk, make it nighttime, give me a chance here. So, look, man, like, (laughs) 
One of the stranger flings I had with a gal, I can't believe yeah. I'm telling this story. Yeah. Uh, she was really into anime porn. Yeah. Um, and I'm the kind of person who, uh, in 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 the the '90s, when Dan Savage was writing his uh, column, he had this mantra of good the three G's: good giving and game. Yeah. That's 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 who I am. If yeah. I'm seeing a gal and she's got a proclivity, uh, unless I've already tested it out i can't believe i'm saying <laughs> uh unless i've already tested it out and found like yeah that's not really for me um then i'll be like oh meh, i'll do anything twice sure um because you know you don't know and let me tell you uh i did that twice uh and uh kind of trying to make this really like walk around this one and and um it was it was really weird and it was disturbing on a certain level um, but but more to the point of 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 you know that's almost that, that's almost a useless anecdote. I just think I did it for everyone's entertainment sake. But I was entertained. By the but way. I think that this desire to decouple. See, this is the thing. I think that goes right against presence. Right. If presence is our lodestone here if it is the thing that our compass is being drawn towards you know with great magnetic force it is our our north pole then having there be the perfect cyber porno bot who like like a living netflix knows exactly what you want when you want it um that's a narcissistic loop that that moves you away from from the danger edge yeah. of actual presence. And if you look... Pause. That was the importance of myth, by the way. Yeah. The, the narcissist myth we don't agree on anymore. Yeah. That's a big problem. We better agree on some myths. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at the, the horror side. And, yeah. you know, we, we need to... There's an episode that'll be coming up. I'm trying to find someone... Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> I'm trying to find someone from the BDSM community mm-hmm. to come and t- who hopefully is also part of the immersive theater community to so if you know anybody, um, that was to you guys, <laughs> maybe to John too. I don't know. I don't know who he knows. Uh, I know he knows some people I know, but like none of them are this person um, to talk about you know the issues of consent, yeah. uh, issues of you know safety and consent as it is at his as it is been articulated and developed in the BDSM community, much the same way that when we had, you know, Jason Carl from, you know, uh, uh, you know, By Night Studios and White Wolf yeah. talk about how safety and consent evolved in the LARP community. Yeah. And and some of these things are very similar. There is there is a simultaneous you know, generation here. And, and you look at the horror community, you know, the idea of a safe word yeah. comes from BDSM. Right. The the idea that you are edge playing uh, but it's consensual. Yeah. When you cross the consensual line, when you move out of someone's comfort zone, you're no longer you are no longer helping them, helping them test their boundaries. Yeah. You're now just in sadism. Yeah. And you're in a kind of narcissism. And I think that weirdly enough, and maybe and this is the thing I'm embarrassed about, and this says a lot about me, I think that as as a younger man, yeah. I would have been thought that idea was was rad you mean i can program insert supermodels names here yeah. and like it's like it's like pornoplasm out of out of grant morrison's invisibles yes. you know, futuristic stuff right yeah. like have like you know, the perfect thing and but as i get older 
um, you know, that level of narcissism, that level of, of disconnection fades away. And when I, I'm interested in ladies, no, I should not have done that. <laughs> should not have done that. Bad, bad Nelson. <laughs> Apologize. Yeah, this is my sense of You can tell how uncomfortable I am because I'm making inappropriate jokes. Oh, God, John, you done? I feel like I have really accomplished something You've on accompl- this podcast. You, you made me break down. Uh, great, I was tired and now I'm broken. Thanks, John. Oh, classic. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is like actual sex with actual people is interesting. Yes. Actual actual porn with actual people is interesting. Yeah. Uh, the imperfections of a human, yeah. not baseline, not just the image, but but you know, because we're marketed at, marketed at, marketed at, perfection's marketed at us all day long. It is not nearly as interesting. And we are disconnected from our yeah. bodies because of it. And the thing that yeah. we are interested in, immersive, the thing that that VR gives us the simulacrum of, and in times allows us to, I'll say it, spiritually connect with the yeah. sense of presence, connects us to these things that are about the particular and not just the archetypal. Yeah. The archetypal as a as a, uh, a, a, a disconnected theory is not nearly as interested as the archetypal as being embodied right a god isn't just the idea of the father the mother the you intoxication the god is zeus is hera is bacchus it has features and identities that are specific and only through the specific are we able to find the human that's it this is this is why i brought the topic up because i'm deeply concerned Mm. I, I feel like we, um, and let me just state up front, I am far from a prude. I am, I'm into some pretty wild stuff. <laughs> you're, <laughs> but, you're into the immersive horror scene. Right. Like, I think we, we know. Yeah, we know, I'm, you know. I'm far from a prude. But I, f- I try to make sure no one knows what I am. <laughs> well, it's not good for the dating life, <laughs> but, but it keeps everybody safe. I feel like, though, we have to start asking some questions about Will we make? Should we make some of these decisions in light of trying to maintain our humanity? Because, Mm. you know, let's say we can create the perfect porn bot for ourselves. We're going to then create a generation of men and women who are much more attuned to a sexual experience with a digital presence that is not real. How is that going to affect when it does? Come time to have a sexual experience with a real person. I mean, so many ways we already we already do that. Yeah, right. You know, like that's that's one of the that's one of the problems we have right now. Huge problem. Um, and and it's but and I think it's because back into the money thing, like you know the image. Yeah. That you can that you can buy. I don't know. It's, it's 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 rough territory. It is, and, um, and I I think those of us, especially who are maybe. Early on in in this VR AR conversation, we should be asking questions, having conversations right now, so that forty years from now, the people who are living in the world that we create can say, "Wow, they made some some they had some at least asked some of the right questions back then." Yeah. Because I look at you know when you and I walk into a restaurant today. 80% of everybody in there is on their phone not connecting with another person. We all know that's a problem. Right? We all do it. We all do it. But maybe if 40 years ago, when some of that technology was being created, if some questions had been asked, if some conversations had been had, 
it, it, I'm the last guy that wants to stop technology. I love technology. I want to see us progress with technology. But I think if we will at least have some of the conversations, ask some of the right questions, we can make some very small modifications in the decisions we make around technology and how we release technology, how we build technology that ask questions beyond what is the bottom line financial gain of this. Because when I interviewed these 40 people that I interviewed for the book, I ask every single one of them the question about ethics. I ask every single one of them. And some of them were more than happy to engage that and say, I'm so glad you're asking. We need to have that conversation. And others did not want to talk about it. Their, Their literal response was, I, that is not part of my conversation. It's not part of my job. My job is to honor the shareholders uh, at my company. And I, I thought, wow, yeah. that is a problem. That's a big problem. Big problem. But we're seeing more and more of that. And so those of us, you know, yourself, myself, those of us who are, are creators, who are at sort of this front end of this technology, we've got to be mouthpieces for um without sounding like prudes, at least mouthpieces for asking questions, having the right conversations. How do we use this technology and create stories and narratives that make us better people, that enhance the human experience as opposed to somehow uh, accidentally destroy it? And that's a solid place for us to stop because that's the big unanswered question. So nothing more to say. John, thanks for... uh Thanks for taking the show to a place it hasn't been before in more ways than one. It's my pleasure, man. I can't my wait pleasure. to watch the download channel on this one and never show my face on the internet ever again. No. I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe this is for the best. Thanks, John. Thanks, man. Once again, I need to thank John for being our guest on the show today. Um, And uh, let's never speak of this again, shall we? (sighs) (laughs) Now we reach that part of the show that belongs solely to me. And uh, I'm going to use it as I intended it, which is to go on a little bit of a rant. Um, Not that I haven't already revealed too much about myself in this particular episode or my own personal history or or all sorts of things for that matter. But uh, I got I got it. So we're having something interesting happen in the Southland in that there are a lot of alternate reality experiences or alternate reality games, if you'd, if you'd like, um, they're cropping up on Instagram. Um, there's also promotional accounts for fully realized shows, uh, full immersive theater pieces and, and haunts that are popping up at Instagram that are almost indistinguishable in some ways from these ARXs, but What's interesting about the ARX phenomenon is that there are so many, so fast, and all of them in an attempt to jumpstart are reaching out and following the same group of people who are following along. And we are starting to see folks openly complaining, uh, openly complaining that there's just too many going on. Now, the truth is, um, objectively, there are not too many going on because there is a much larger supply of potential audience members and participants in these activities than there are ARXs going on. And indeed, there may be ARXs 
and ARGs happening, I mean, I know they're happening around the world, but they may be happening in uh, pockets of the culture in the Southland. I'm talking about Los Angeles and, and Orange Counties uh, and, and Ventura County, I guess, technically. Uh, nothing against Ventura. There's a lovely comic book store, and I really like the beaches there. Um, there's there's just um, there's this, this way they crop up on Instagram and instantly start following uh, what has come to be known as the usual suspects uh, in an attempt to get their thing going and spread word. Because some of the usual suspects are really great at being like, oh, what's this one? And there's a whole thing about them where people are wondering, is it some piece of a larger puzzle? Does it somehow involve the lust experience, which is still unfolding? Um, Is it part of uh, the boanthropic slash the society? And once in a while, the answer is yes. Um, but it's looking a lot like a lot of the time the answer is no. So here's my message to the people creating these experiences. Don't go after the usual suspects. There's fatigue setting in. There is an infinite supply of people who love genre things who have interests in horror and anime and fantasy and you name it. And Comic-Con is coming up in July and Midsummer Scream is coming up in July, which I forgot to plug that I'm doing a panel at Midsummer Scream. And if you're sitting around, if you want tickets to Midsummer Scream, we've got a 30% discount if you use the discount code NOPRO. Should have done that beginning of the show but I'm having a busy day. So there, you stuck around, you got a a free thing. Congratulations. Um, These are wonderful opportunities to kick things off. Look at what happened with the Boanthropic. It started at the Fringe Festival as a pop-up event and then, you know, went online and was seized upon by the, the engine of the ARX fan community here in the Southland, but you can do so much more if you find and build your audience outside those who are already playing, because they're playing like three or four games right now, running in multiple experiences, and there's only so much time in the day. Now, the great thing is that, you know, you will occasionally get someone who just likes your thing more, and the people who are doing great creative work they're going to find their audience and attract their audience and indeed might win people over who go like, oh, well, you know, this one's not for me, but I'm really enjoying this one over here. And some people are always going to have that FOMO and just be like, whoa, I want to be involved in them all. But I'm seeing a lot of, and I'm going to say it, monkey see, monkey do. I'm seeing a lot of folks copy a formula and run out there. And having watched the cycle of ARGs go up, and go down I'm watching a peak and a crash is coming and it's coming hard and the thing is is that some people are starting to talk about burning out on the whole of immersive entertainment because of this you know they're like oh I'm not looking forward to shows because then it involves like I don't want to have to like unlock a bunch of puzzles and whatnot and they're just getting fatigue and this is this is not something to be like, well, you know, the, the strong will survive and, and go on and whatnot. And I know some, some experiences are deliberately focused that way, but there's a practical thing to talk about, which is 
unless your show, if you have a ticketed event, has a hard cap and you know you can reach that with the small community. And there are shows that are doing that, right? The folks at Nocturnal Fandango, they have a subscription service and they've got their, their folks and they are targeted and they are bringing people along for the ride and they've done something that is pretty smart as a business strategy of locking in their audience and getting them in a subscription, which is straight out of regular theater, the subscription service. Okay. There's, there's, it's something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue and it's working for them very well. And that could work for you as well. If you're thinking about making one of these things, but just realize that there's only so much water in the well. And you may want to drink deep, but buddy, I'm asking you for a light. And that light is go and build an audience and don't just rely on the one that's there because that's what every successful immersive company has done here in the Southland, in New York, in London, they've built their own. So start building start thinking outside the box, start finding ways to bring more people in and don't just rely on the community that's already there because those folks are already getting tired. And this resurgence of alternate reality experiences really is only about nine months old. I mean, if we consider tension, the whole run of tension, we've got over a year, but it was only at the conclusion of tension that we really started to see these things expand beyond. So blaze your own path. And if you're paying close attention to what's going on over at the tension experience, things, which is now lust, things are different this year. It's not the same type of thing because they've refined their formula as well. Get inventive, think outside the box, expand, expand, expand. Otherwise, um, there's going to be burnout and no one's going to be doing that form in about four months. And that would be a shame because it's a really interesting form and there's a lot of advantages to it, but there's only so many hours in the day for the, I want to say 60 to hundred people who are actively participating in multiple ARXs. So there you go. There's my piece. Um, there's so much other work going on in so many places. You can see that over at everything immersive this week. Um, there's lots of discussions in our Slack about safety, consent, all those things in regarding design. And there's some really interesting articles about, uh, sort of, um, the state of mind of the creators of some largely talked about pieces that are arriving. So I encourage you to go over there to noforsinium.com and check out everything immersive this week because um, there's stuff worth checking out that goes deep. And like I said, if you want to get in on some of those longer form conversations, the Slack is a pretty good place. The design channel in our Slack is like awesome. So uh, you can write me Noah at noprosinium.com. Let's do the credits. The music for this show, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our sustaining backer is Ross Sigworth. You can join him 
by going to patreon.com slash no proscenium. You can find everything we do at noproscenium.com. That includes signing up for our newsletter. It's up there in the toolbar at the top. And if you're on mobile, just realize that that thing scrolls like kind of like a wheel. It's a little bit hidden. It's not perfect, but it's there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at no proscenium. You can find me on Twitter at Noah J. Nelson. And I swear I will never talk to you about certain kinds of anime ever, ever. Um, you can find our Facebook group is everything immersive on Facebook. Uh, also you can find it easily by going to everything immersive.com. Please send us information about shows you've heard about to, to, um, pitches P I T C H E S at no proscenium.com. That is the official new tip line. Pitch me your show. Let me know what's going on. You can find us on Instagram, uh, no underscore, no dash proscenium. Um, look, we're all over the place. There are links. You can find them. Um, next week on the show, uh, it's not in the can yet, but we've got something fun planned out. Let's see if, uh, let's see if the holiday allows us to execute the plan. So until then, until next time, I'll see you at the show. Bye.